scripture reading today is coming from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. In addition to your own Bible, if you have one of our worship Bibles, you can turn to page 758. If you are able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Let's say a word of prayer as we continue. Father, we're thankful to be able to gather this morning on a, a beautiful winter morning here in Cave Creek. We're thankful for the friends we've been able to reconnect with today and the new ones that we have met and will meet, for the fellowship that we'll enjoy today and for the opportunity to have sung these great Christmas carols together. Now we come to look at your word, and we ask for you to teach us from it. We come to worship you not only by the singing of songs of praise, but also by the hearing and the responding to your word. So I pray that you'd give to us insight as we listen, as I share, so that at the end of the day we can say, yes, Lord, yes, to you and to your word. We ask this in your name. Amen. One of those things that happens every Christmas time is we get inundated with advertisements. In fact, it doesn't even start at Christmas. Doesn't it start about July? I, I can't remember, but it seems like it starts in there. And, of course, we've got cyber this and black that and uh, all these things that all are so much around the issue of buying stuff. In fact, many retail establishments could not survive unless they had a holiday rush. Many, many retail establishments never break even until they get to the holiday season. Our whole economy, in many ways, is built around the success of the Christmas season to sell stuff to us. And we're quick to stand away from that, and yet we also very much participate in that, don't we? We know Christmas isn't about buying and selling stuff, but for a lot of people, Christmas is kind of about being with family and having friendships and doing all, and of course, that's a very important part of Christmas. But you and I both know that the essence of the Christmas season has nothing, little or nothing to do with the buying and selling of stuff. It has everything to do with the incarnation. Now, that's a word we don't hear about too much, but it's a very important Bible word, the incarnation. What does that mean? It means that the Christmas season is about the time when God came to put on human skin, came to live in the world which he had made, take, came to take upon himself our own identity, 
And that's really what the Christmas season is about. It's the story of how that occurred, and it's the reason why we celebrate each year. Christians celebrate the Christmas season. So in these next several weeks, during this season, we tip. Thank you, Lori. I appreciate that very much. You ever notice that colds tend to come at the worst possible time? I don't really have a cold, but I had a tooth out on Thursday, and I think it gave me whatever is going on in my face, you know. And, uh, you know, we have all this singing going on. I'm having a hard time uh, with that, and even my voice has gotten very manly today, hasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I've got a manly voice today. Uh, I'd like that part, but the rest of it, I don't like when I start to sing and I can't go up on that. The Christmas season. So we're going to take these four or five weeks to just reflect on, believe it or not, the Gospel of John. Now, John is not the person you normally look to when you go to look at the Christmas story. In fact, the Christmas story is really only found in two of the four Gospels, the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke. Matthew tells us about the wise men. Luke tells us about the shepherd. Matthew tells us about the appearance of the angel to jo Joseph. Luke tells us about the appearance of the angel to Mary. And the whole story has to be put together from those two books. Now, when we read the Gospel of Mark, uh, Jesus just shows up on the scene, fully grown man. But in the Gospel of John, which was written probably much later than the other three Gospels, the Gospel of John reflects the, uh, the backward look of a young disciple whose name was John, who was one of the first couple followers of Jesus, who had begun on his inner circle and loved Jesus, and Jesus loved him, and then became a great leader in the church and probably was the longest living disciple. In fact, he uh, has written the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible, which was probably written about 85 or 90 A.D. And John was written probably before that, when John, after a long period of following Jesus and leading churches that were following Jesus, begins to kind of reflect on the story of Jesus. And whereas Matthew and Luke give to us the facts of the Christmas story, John gives to us the meaning of the Christmas story. Facts without meaning are meaningless, right? John helps us to see what it all meant. And so in this great grand opening prologue to the book of John, John begins to lay this fabric out, this, 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 this landscape out of this story about a God on a mission to rescue his creation, his beautiful, though broken, creation. And so John begins his story not with Jesus as a grown man, nor does he begin his story with the stories of Joseph or of, the, of Mary or those people. But John begins all the way at the beginning of time and even before the beginning of time. John, the gospel writer, borrows ideas and themes from the very first book of the Jewish Bible. Do you know what it is? Genesis, which begins with the words, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. And the Lord said, let there be light. And there was light. There was evening. There was morning. The first day. I don't know that I quoted it all perfectly, but you can look it up. It's in the first book of the Bible. 
and these themes of in the beginning and God speaking and darkness being overcome by light were in the words that Cheryl read for you already. Listen to them a little bit. In the beginning, oh, there's the, the first clue. John borrows the same startled, starting words to his gospel as Genesis did. In the beginning, he says, God, or excuse me, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. Oh, and the, God, the Genesis story starts with a word, right? God said, let there be light. So an astute Jewish reader would have picked that up right away, right away. Like if I say the word 9-11, you, you automatically know what I'm talking. It just You don't have to think about it. It's automatic. They would have known that automatically. And then it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And we begin to understand he's speaking about the Genesis story, but in an altogether different way. That there's a word who is with God in the beginning and who is himself God. All things were made through him. Oh, it's about creation, right? All things were made with him. And without him was not anything that was made. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. Life. Light. There was a man. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. So John begins not with Jesus as a grown man, but goes all the time, the beginning of time, and before the beginning of the time, at the beginning of the beginning, at the beginning, before the beginning, when there was no beginning, there was God. And there was the Word, too. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What is John trying to tell us about this story? Many things that we can look at in this text, but we're going to take four or five weeks to talk through this whole first chapter of John. And then John goes on to tell us about this word in him, uh, and that life was the light of men. And then in the 14th verse, he says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John is making an astounding, unbelievable statement, which was at the essence of his faith, the essence of the story of Jesus, that what happened when Jesus came to be born in a manger and lived his life and died his death and rose his resurrection and ascended to the heavens, what happened when Jesus was first born was that the eternal word of God, the same word which said, let there be light, and there was light, the same word in whom there was life and, and light that conquered the darkness and life that came into this world. This same word one day came and lived among us. What does he mean? And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten son of the father, full of grace and truth. John believes and Christians believe that Jesus wasn't just a little baby. He wasn't just a good teacher, a great man, an ethical leader a religious revolutionary, a prophet, a teacher from God, that Jesus was, in fact, the very Word of God in human form. Now, if that's true, that changes everything about your life. If it's true, that means that there is something about Jesus which makes him utterly unique in all of history, and he therefore deserves our unwavering adoration 
and devotion and, yes, submission. If it's not true, then Christianity is built upon and fabricated upon a false teaching, a lie, a myth, a non-truth. That's the essence of Christianity. So who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? John begins to tell us who Jesus is in this opening salvo of this gospel. Excuse me a second. I don't even like tea, but today it feels good, yeah. I like tea when it's ice cold with lots of ice cubes in it. I like coffee when it's very hot. And never mix those two up. Don't make your coffee cold and don't make your tea hot. But today I'm enjoying hot tea. It feels good on my throat. What is John saying to us about the person of Jesus? Let's take a look at this idea of the person of Jesus. He says to us that Jesus is the word of God, that he is fully divine. He is fully divine. There's several things that we see in this text. First of all, he says about, you know, you saw already as I talked to you, that the word that he speaks about in the first couple of verses is identified as the son of God. That means he's talking about Jesus, who is the subject of his whole gospel. So when he's speaking about the word, we could Insert the word Jesus for the word word. So let's listen to it that way. In the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God. And Jesus was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Jesus. And without Jesus was not anything that made that was made. In Jesus was life. And the life was the light of men. What are these astounding things that are being said about Jesus? Jesus, first of all, he says, is eternal. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning. Jesus had no beginning. He was there at the, at the beginning. In fact, anything that would happen before the beginning would itself be God because it would have enabled the beginning. Jesus was there at the beginning with God, okay? It's Jesus is eternal. And it says, and Jesus was God. This is, an, it's such a big idea. I feel a little bit like Tinkerbell. Remember Tinkerbell when she had a feeling that was too big to be felt and she had to grow up to give a kiss, right? Remember that in the movie? You remember that, don't you? This idea of God inhabiting a human body is a, a mind-blowing idea. But he lived in a human body. He was God. It doesn't say he was a God. It says he was God. And if we're not confused enough already, he then says he was in the beginning with God. How can God be with God? How can there be one God and more than one God without there being two gods. How can he be God and with God? Well, this is a mystery. And ultimately, we began to discover that the very deity, deity itself is a triunity. There is a, a triplicate of personality within the very deity of God's self. God the Father, God the Son... God the Holy Spirit, co-equal together. 
unique and yet separate from one another. This is a, 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 an unfathomable mystery, and yet this is what the Bible is teaching to us, that God, Jesus, is not only God, but is with God. What does this mean? That means that at the very core of the universe is relationship. This is important. It's relationship. God and Jesus and the Spirit in a love relationship with one another. That love is at the very essence of the universe. They're in, they're, uh, oh, there's one um, in, in, in the 18th verse. I didn't print this one. Um, uh, let's see. No one is, verse 18 says, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. The only God who is at the Father's side. God at the Father. What is this? This is speaking about Jesus and the Father. When it says at his side, it's like at his Father's bosom. That's the real, at the Father's bosom. Now let's imagine that I'm sitting on my sofa watching the Cardinals beat the Packers. I know, it's a dream. And I'm watching that game, and I'm just lounging on the sofa, sort of semi-prone, as sometimes you guys do, right? And let's say... That someone, how many people are there who have the right and the welcome to, without any announcement, come and lay on my bosom? How many? Not any of you guys. <laughs> as much as I love you, we don't have that intimate of a relationship, right? But there are a few people, namely, especially my wife, Donna. But I had an interesting experience just this past week. I thought of this because I was sitting at my daughter's house because my daughter stayed through Thanksgiving Sunday, and uh, her husband had to go back early. And part of the deal with that is we got to take her to California. So we made a round trip Tuesday to California, Wednesday back to Arizona. Can you imagine that? And so I'm there Tuesday night or Wednesday morning. I don't remember when. It's kind of all blurred together. And I'm sitting there, and my daughter, who had just put her kids down to bed, and I'm sitting there, and what has she done? But she comes and nestles just like a six-year-old underneath her daddy's shoulder. Yeah, she can get in there too. What is it saying when it says the son is at the father's side? It means they have that intimacy of relationship. That means that love is at the center and at the heart of the universe. This is what makes God tick. That God has a self-expression of love. Now, this is really important because only Christianity has a triune God. Only Christianity. If you have a single mono God, right, a, tri, a, a non-triune God, then you have a God who exists, who has no one to love until he creates someone to love. So love comes after his power, right? He's got the power to create a loving relationship with a world. And, of course, you can do that. And, of course, parents do that for their children, right, more or less. But because... The Bible teaches that Jesus and the Holy Spirit and God were all together, always in this love relationship. They didn't, they didn't decide to love the world. The world was an expression of the love which already existed within the Godhead. Jesus said, I and the Father as one are one, right? There was this love at the center of the universe. The Bible says God is 
love. And that is what it means. And just like love results in new children in your family, an expression, you you get married to uh, this lovely woman, you decide it's great to be together, but your love finds its expression in what? The making of a baby, right? And the baby comes out of the love. And then you have one and you think, oh, that's so beautiful. But what happens? Another baby comes. And does love diminish when all this happens? No, it multiplies. And then if you're lucky, those babies grow up to be grown-ups. And then what do they do? They find someone to love. Then you have, what? A grandbaby. Without all the problems of being up in the middle of the night. Right? And love grows. And love leads to life. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. What we need most at the heart of our lives is this unconditional, forever love. Right? We want it. We want it. It's at the core of ourselves. Why? Because it's at the core of the universe. That before this universe existed, there was God, the triune God, and the loving dance together, the divine dance, some refer to it as. Of, we can't even explain it except that it rings, a, it rings a chord in our hearts of love, which never ends. You and I are married, perhaps. We have loved ones. Most of us have had to bury a loved one or two. But the gospel of Jesus tells us that love never ends. Love never fails. Why can we believe that? Because we believe in a God who was in love with the triune God, this triunity of God, right from the very beginning. And that will never end when this universe is history on the ashes. And then when God has made the new universe, it will still be filled with love. And the glory of the Lord, as Isaiah says, will cover the waters like the waters cover the sea. Water's covering the sea. How does that happen? It's just love on top of love. Water's covering water's overflowing love. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. This beautiful idea of God, Jesus being in intimate relationship with God, an eternal relationship of love, is what gives this whole story its framework. We want love, but we need it in a framework that is a loving framework. Jesus is God, and Jesus is in a love relationship with God. There is only one God, but this God is in a relationship with himself. And all of them love these, this God within God. All love one another. And it has been this way from all eternity. Only Christianity teaches that at the very heart of God is a dynamic love relationship. It has been so from all eternity and will be till all eternity forward. They love one another. They have forever. They will forever. And it was out of that love that the earth was born. And it was ultimately out of that love that the baby cried outside of Bethlehem when God the Son came and was clothed in human flesh. Yes, love wants to share itself. And ultimately, God wants to share himself with the world. Because love, in order to be love, must be uncoerced. And so humanity was given a choice whether to love God or not. 
that involves trust and giving of yourself. Humanity decided that God could not be trusted, so we have this God-shaped vacuum in our life, this love-shaped vacuum in our lives, seeking and grasping. We want love forever. We grasp for it, and we forget that love is not about selfishly getting for myself, but selflessly giving for another. And so ultimately, one day, God came to live among us, to rescue us, to bring to us his love on the earth. Jesus is the word of God. He is fully divine. But then we see that, and I'm kind of jumble these points a little bit together because it kind of, they're so closely united. In the verse 14, we see that this living word of God ultimately became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. So let's take a look at what this maybe means. Jesus is the Word of God. He is fully divine. But secondly, Jesus is the Word made flesh. He is fully human. That's the second point. Jesus is the Word of God. He is fully divine. But we need to hold intention as well. Jesus is the Word made flesh. He is fully human. He is God walking in human skin. God embodied. God fully living among us. Look at what it says. And the Word became flesh. The Word of God. Jesus himself. The, the, uh, the divine Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory now think about what that means and dwelt among us that word dwelt is a is actually a word some of you may know this the word is actually tabernacled he tented among us like this little tent you know he came and tabernacled among us and again these people have steeped in jewish tradition would have known immediately what that was about you see, in the Old Testament story, though humanity had rebelled against God, God called the first one, Abraham, and said, I will make you the father of a great nation, and among you all of in, 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 in among you all nations of the families of the earth will be blessed. And out of him grew uh, Isaac and then Jacob and then the twelve sons, the twelve tribes of Israel who spent their time in Egypt, always thinking about this promise that God would restore the land and bless all of them through them. They found themselves in Egypt, enslaved after four hundred years, and having a memory of this promise, but having forgotten almost altogether about the God who had called their father Abraham, when suddenly God raises up a leader whose name was Moses. And Moses was called to go and to bring the people out of bondage in, the, in, in Egypt and into the promised land. And when they went, they went across the Red Sea and they went to a mountain. And they went on the mountain. God revealed himself to Moses on that mountain. There was earthquakes. There was lightning. It was dark. It was frightening. The glory of God was there on the mountain. And in fact, Moses at one point said, show me, show me your glory. In that setting, in Exodus, God says, I can't show you my glory. I could kill you. Like if I really showed you who I was, your eyes couldn't take it. Uh, there's too much glory. Glory has to do with weightiness, okay? It has to do with uh, substantiality. I'm too substantial for your puny human self to 
perceive. I mean, we all, we're so flippant about God, you know. It's a little bit like you got in a fight with a five-year-old, fist fight. If you really showed your whole strength, if they said, hit me as hard as you can, you could hit that fight. You'd go to the jail for that. Right? We're not able to handle his glory. So the Lord said, I'll put you in a cleft in the rock, and I'll, I'll, I'll let you go by the backside of me, and you can feel my glory, right? That's what he did. And then they went down with the Ten Commandments. The covenant was signed and sealed, and God said to them, Now I want you to build for me a tent, a tabernacle, and I'll put my glory in the tabernacle, and your glory will go with you. And so they built the tabernacle, the tent, just like God told them to do. And it was, a, it was a portable thing, just like this, more or less. You know, they carried it on poles. They had all these instructions. And they went on, and the God was in the midst of them. They, they, they carried this. And, and when they built that tabernacle, the glory of God came in that tabernacle. It was there in the Holy of Holies. And it was like a, a fire on top of the tabernacle, Right? And it was like a, a, a pillar of smoke as well, all right? And that glory led them ultimately in toward the promised land and lengthened the, the short and the long story. The glory ultimately rested in a temple, a permanent structure, which when they built it, the glory of God came into that temple so strong that they couldn't get inside. They couldn't get in. It was too full. It was too substantial. It was too dense. It was too big. It was too much. That's where the glory of God had lived. God wanted to be among his people. But there was such great disobedience that ultimately the temple was destroyed and the glory of God left the temple. And so for four or five hundred years, after a while, they waited for the time when the glory of God would return. And someday God would come. That first psalm we read was a psalm among many that have to do with the longing for God to fulfill his long-awaited promise what john is telling us in the 14th verse is that promise was fulfilled when the word of god became flesh and tabernacled among us and we beheld his glory glory as of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth jesus lived among us in human skin, walked among us. He wasn't an apparition. He wasn't just a, a, a seeming to be human. No, he was fully human. He got tired. Somehow in a mystery which we can't hardly fathom, God inhabited a human body. Jesus submitted himself to that point. You know, he, uh, he, he did not lose his essential nature as God, but he gave up. His, his essential prerogatives as God, one of which, of course, is the ability to be everywhere at once. You can't be that way in the human body. In the human body, he also got tired. He had to sleep. There were things that needed to happen. So he, somehow, in a way, we cannot imagine, and it took a couple hundred years to kind of figure this out in the church. How did this all come together? We would say it this way. He was very God. The early creed says he was very God and very man. Fully God, fully man. Just as much God as if he had never been human, just as much human as if he had never been God. See? There's a mystery in this nature of Jesus, but that's part of the essential belief of the Christian church, that Jesus wasn't just God coming to be among us, but he was God coming to live and inhabit a human body, that he was tabernacled 
in that body, that the glory of God was inside that human tabernacle. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came to bring both grace and truth. Jesus reveals the glory of God as he's embodied in that human tabernacle. How did Jesus reveal the glory of God? Ultimately, he revealed the glory of God. The Gospel of John tells us the ultimate way that he revealed the glory of God when he said in the 17th chapter of this very book, Father, glorify me now with the glory I had with you when I was with you before I came down. Now it is the time for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now is the time for the Son of Man to be glorified. What was he talking about? He was talking about glory in the most upside-down way you could ever imagine because of that glorious moment when the Son of God, the God-made human, died on a cross, giving himself up, expressing that divine love in a way no human could ever have imagined by fully emptying himself before the misguided and selfish humanity. He was glorified there on that tree and gave up his life so that you and I could have new life. The light shined in the darkness, and the darkness could not overcome it. What happened when Jesus was on that cross? In the middle of the day, what does the Bible say? Now look what's happening. The sun went black. (laughs) I'm in the sunshine, which is there's a mystery and a metaphor in there, right? At the moment that the earth went black in the middle of the day because darkness was over the face of the whole world, at that moment, which looked like darkness, it was really a moment of light because the darkness would not have the final word over Jesus. Yes. And also in the very next verse, this is found in the Gospel of Matthew, The very next verse, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And for the first time in all history, the divine dance was broken up. The love relationship that God had with his son was broken that day because he did not see the son in all of his glory, but you and me in all of our sin. And God had to turn his back on the one he loved more than all the world. And the son said, why have you forsaken me? Later, into thy hands, I commit my spirit. That moment of utter darkness, both physically and spiritually, was the moment when darkness was conquered, even as it was submitted to, because three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. And this creation story, starting with the Gospel of John, the beginning, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and where was God? This creation story talks about then a new beginning, when on Sunday in John chapter 20, on the first day of the week, Jesus appeared in a garden, in a garden, like in the first, to Mary. He said, I'm not dead, I'm alive. Go tell those faithless disciples. (laughs) And so she did. And the world was changed. A new creation, which was purchased at the cost of Jesus' very life, 
was birthed that day. Until, and we're in the middle of that new creation process until that final day when Jesus will come again and restore all things. So, while you're shopping for those gifts your children don't need, you know, while you're dealing with the difficulties and the joys of family life at Christmas time, please remember the true story of Christmas. The story of Christmas is the story of Jesus, the Word of God who is fully divine. Jesus, the Word made flesh, who is fully human. Jesus, who revealed the glory of God and conquered darkness through his death in his ultimate resurrection life. And embrace it. As that text goes on to say, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe on his name. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, the word of God made flesh, place your faith in him today. Receive him as the giver of life. Let him pierce the darkness which is at the center of your own life. Let him love you with a love that sees the very best for you can be. Join the divine dance. Become one of God's children. And if you, like me, are a child of God already by trusting in Christ and yet find yourself sometimes waywardly pushing away the light, repent. Repent. And let God bring forgiveness anew. While we close our time together, we have the Lord's table available for you and for me. Don't feel as though you have to share the table, but know that you are invited be one of those, not one of those who reject Jesus, but one of those who receive him. Heavenly Father, we pray. We thank you that Jesus is the word made flesh. Thank you that he gave his life for us. We want to respond in faith to him. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.